Welcome to Pop and Lock. I'm Natalie Dalzicki. As a young child, for seven Halloween nights in a row, my costumes all had a theme. My Grammy spent countless hours sewing together fabulous dresses, and some years my mom ruined my costume by making me wear sweatpants for warmth under my gowns. I was always a princess. I was even my favorite Disney princess two years in a row, and I'm still not ashamed of it. In 1937, when Snow White hit theaters, childhoods changed forever. In the studio today to discuss Disney's colossal and fabulous princess franchise is Washington Examiner's culture writer, Madeline Fry. Hi. Editorial fellow at USA Today, Haley Victory Smith. Hello. And senior writer at the Foundation for Economic Education, Brittany Hunter. Good morning. Let's jump right in. So Disney has three, let's call them uh, eras of princesses. The Golden Era with Snow White, Cinderella, and Sleeping Beauty. The original three, most people refer to them as, or trilogy. <laughs> the Renaissance Era with Ariel, Belle, Jasmine, and Mulan. Some of my personal favorites. And the Modern Era with Tiana, Rapunzel, Merida. I always mess this one up. Merida? Merida. Merida. Mm-hmm. And unofficially, Anna and Elsa. And Moana, my favorite. But let's take a step back. Can anyone tell me what is a princess? In Disney terms, this is confusing because I would not consider Mulan a princess, to be honest with you. I was kind of like not confused, but a little bit surprised to hear you say that because she was one of the few that was not a princess. Um, I always think of Jasmine kind of being the stereotypical princess or even Ariel because she was an actual princess. But we've kind of just started using that interchangeably for females in the Disney you know, kingdom. So that's that's a good question. I don't know that I know the answer to. So what, what would you describe as a princess then? Disney princesses are whatever Disney wants them to be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not one of those people that's like as big of a Star Wars nerd as I am. Um, I'm not one of those people who insists that uh, Princess Leia needs to be added to the princess canon. Uh, she is not a cartoon princess. She does not get to be a part of the canon um but like like i don't know yeah there are several princesses that are not like really princesses or aren't princesses until they marry a prince so i don't know well uh, I, whatever i also wonder like do you think disney sits down and like has a meeting about okay like this is where you get to lobby what can be officially called a disney princess because from the from the research i i was doing apparently elsa and anna haven't made official disney princess status yet um i don't think so I, I, really well, why don't no they haven't so like when you uh like look up Disney's like lineup oh, and they put all the yes. princesses on the same like nice little picture that like no one can copyright because like they own everything. Yes, yes, um, yes. They don't include Elsa and Anna. They don't include Moana yet. But that could also be because their stories are still like unfolding. Yeah. Isn't right? there like an induction ceremony? Isn't that what happens? I feel like this is a thing. Probably. I it, guess. It, it wouldn't, honestly, it wouldn't <laughs> surprise like a parade, me. you know. Would you, would you all define princesses disney princesses specifically because they basically defined the princess brand as heroines or damsels in distress heroines unless we're talking early i think the earlier ones cinderella snow white and that just kind of reflects the culture right that was a little bit more of i need this prince to come save me um i think in in my era when i was five or six when beauty and the beast came out when in a little mermaid came out that's where you saw them being a little bit more independent you saw them reading or or not wanting to be princess in jasmine's case so i think it's it's shifted a little bit over the years i think too like kind of bouncing off of that idea is like you said we've come a really really long way from the first princess that was like a gorgeous teenager who literally just did chores and cleaned up for seven like men who were like all over the place so i think we've come a long way from that and i think also that 
Disney might have taken a little bit of heat for always making the princesses damsels in distress. Do you think that type of heat is warranted? Like, should Disney care? Yeah, I think so. I think that they, like you were saying, they started portraying the women as they always need a prince to save them. And then slowly they kind of went through an era where it was a little bit of both. And then you have some Disney princesses who are just heroines and they don't have to have anyone save them. I think that's probably why you like Moana a lot is she's just very empowered and she doesn't need anybody to help her. But obviously it's a story and there are supporting characters and everything. But she very much is kind of the... um, she controls her own narrative, which is really cool. But I think Disney realized that for a long time, there were a lot of um, women who were watching the Disney princesses and saying, this is not the most feminist thing. And they probably respond to that a little bit from a sense of, oh, this will make more money if we make our characters more empowered. But it's also a good thing. Yeah, I think, I, okay, I want to push back on this just a little bit. I think that kind of the stories have evolved as society has evolved. I don't know that there was any one, even though it, it, it does kind of, uh, you know, differ based on the era. Um, but I think each of these stories is not just, even I would say this about Snow White, is not just about... Um, you know, oh, the stamsel in distress that needs saving. Each of these Disney princess stories uh, at its heart, I think, is like kind of this sort of great adventure tale, right? Where the girl, um, she goes out and she has this great adventure. And um, it's it's kind of a coming of age story for each one of these sort of classic fairy tales. And, and that's the other thing we have to keep in mind, too, is that these are retellings albeit, you know, changed retellings of classic fairy tale stories. And of course, they have evolved over time. But um, I don't know. So is society. And I just think it's not um, the, the, the original stories, which I don't think you guys were saying, the original stories are not unworthy because they were maybe less, quote unquote, feminist than the newer stories, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think kind of we also have to remember that a lot of these stories, like you were just hinting at, aren't Disney originals, so to speak. Yeah. So like a lot of them come from the Brothers Grimm, um, which a- as original tales, as original fairy tales are extremely dark. Horrifying. Yeah, <laughs> extremely dark and not something that you would really ever want on film or portrayed to a childhood audience. Uh, and I think Disney, when it first started its princesses, one, it had no idea, especially not in 1937, had no idea it was going to become the massive industry it is today. Something online, there were, there was, uh, guesses online that like Disney princess merchandise alone is a $5.5 billion industry, um, which, is not surprising, but like how many? Yeah, <laughs> we have a little creature sitting on our table. We have a friend from uh, Tangled. <laughs> I, I, um, so I have a stuffed Pascal sitting on my bed at home, and he was beckoning to come with me today. So I decided to bring him along. The viewers or the listeners cannot see him, but I'm sure they can sense oh, his aura. <laughs> we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll post a picture of it too. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, well, another element that you didn't mention too that like these Disney stories tend to have is it's always um, the movie's main character most of the time, not in all of them, is the, the, the princess, and except for Jasmine's case. She's not, in theory, the main character, but then again, the movie is called Aladdin, so... I don't know if we can really fault them for that, but they always have these cute sidekicks. Yes. Um, and they're always going on this wild adventure. Um, and I think the part, part of the reason that the like golden era princesses are looked at as like not really like resonating with a, with the crowd today or with the young girls today is partially because they're, they're, they were made in a different time, right? The, the, 
how women were viewed in that time period is a, is a reflection maybe in those movies, but it, girls today aren't going to understand that because that's not the world they are currently growing up in. I don't know. You're giving me a look here. You don't think that you don't think. Okay. Well, I don't want to like dominate this part of the no, conversation. Um, but I don't. I think that girls still resonate with those early stories. Uh, you know, we all grew up like playing princesses, right? Like on the playground at school. Absolutely. I think they still resonate because I think, I do believe that there is something kind of inherent to the heart of women that desires to see the best in, in men. Okay. So to, be, the desire to be rescued by a man is not a wrong desire. Okay, I, I, I just don't think there's inher- anything inherently bad about that. Um, of course, that shouldn't be like, oh, you know, we're just going to have men solve all our problems for us, or um, you know, we're not going to learn to take care of ourselves. But I think that it is. I think it's an inherently um, an inherently human thing to have that desire. And we always played kidnap and res- kidnapper and rescuer, <laughs> you know, on the playground. And I think little girls still play those games. Maybe they don't resonate quite as much, but I think some of that might have to do more with the kind of graphic and visual elements of films, older films, than it does um, necessarily with the stories themselves. And I, th- I think what you're kind of explaining is, you know, Carl Jung talks about archetypes, the Jungian archetypes, and that, that's kind of what you're talking about. There is there is a female archetype, and there is that that plays a role in all of our our minds, whether or not we realize it or not. You know, we're we're not. I disagree with John Locke in this aspect. We're not blank slates. We come with certain codes, with certain you know inherent codes. And Joseph Campbell a lot talked about a hero's journey, and that plays into the, these Jungian archetypes. Yeah. So the reason that we do still resonate with these um, is is because. That does play a role in us as women. And and for me, I don't necessarily – well, not necessarily. I've never called myself a feminist. So I tend to resonate with the older stories even more than I do with someone like Elsa, who who I just don't really understand. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so that's so something angsty. that I can agree with. I think what was so brilliant about Disney doing Elsa and Anna in the Frozen series is they wanted to say, oh, we have this – woman who doesn't need a man, but also yes. everyone also still wants to see one of the characters end up with yep. a guy. So they have the two women. One gets to be <laughs> the empowered the man that they want, and the other one gets to fulfill what people like actually still do want to see in a movie. It's true. I think um, so... Uh, there's this book called Captivating, really great book, um, written by John and Stacey Eldridge. Um, I think it's John Eldridge, yeah. And um, it kind of talks about sort of the heart of women and, and what do women desire and um, at, at their depths of their soul, like what what do women want? And um, there was this really interesting quote that Stacey writes. I'm not going to read the whole thing, um, but she says, before a doubt and accusation take hold, most little girls sense they have a vital role to play. They want to believe there is something in them that is needed and needed desperately that they desire to play this kind of like irreplaceable role in a great adventure I, and I think that's what little girls want and I think that is demonstrated in all of these Disney princess films I don't think there's a single exception to that yeah I would agree with that too and I think part of it is that Disney, let's call it, they have accentuated that adventure in the more recent film, so they've made it more apparent yeah. rather than Sleeping Beauty falling asleep and yes. like having she's only... She's the one that yeah. maybe... Yeah. Yeah. I, I like read something somewhere that like in that whole movie, she only has like uh, 18 lines or yes. something. Yes. So yes. like kind of dull lines. There's nothing yeah. like remarkable at <laughs> anything she says. Right. So I think Disney has done an exceptional job at accentuating that adventure or that, that need for adventure, whether it's Ariel feeling that like she has uh, she has to like get out of her world and has to go see other things and doesn't want to be like the rest, um, which I think like independence is like a core part of these um, Disney of all these Disney princess movies. But do you think 
are, I'm kind of interested in your guys' take on which princesses are independent and why do you think that way? I, I think they kind of all are. Like you were saying, even Snow White had to go out and do her own thing, right? It gets back to, like I said, the Joseph Campbell hero's journey thing about, about leaving the tribe or leaving where it is you came from. Yeah. Um, Jasmine was, was a, a standout to me because here you have somebody who's born into privilege, who has everything, and she doesn't want it. And that's unheard of for, for young girls who think, I want to be a princess. I want to marry a prince. She does not want to marry a prince. She wants to go out and like make her own in the world. Um, it doesn't that doesn't end up happening exactly how she wants it. But that was huge for me as a seven year old watching that because I thought all I wanted was to be a princess. And here you have somebody who wants more. Yeah. I mean, I was I was the same when I was little. I thought like I was going to be a di- uh, princess. And like when I went to Disney World, I wanted to dress up and go get signatures from all the princesses um, and it, like integral part of my childhood. But I think at the same time, like when I was watching it at that age, my new memory's fuzzy, but I I I more looked at the story arc than I did about the actual characters and like the the agency or independence they were showing. And I think some of our some of the stories more re- more recently, especially, show that um, women can be independent, have strong and fierce um, attitudes, and um, they're more than just the the focus. Um, and I think, well, if we're going back to Frozen too. I think it's kind of you don't like Frozen. <laughs> not the best. I'm not a fan of Frozen yeah. either. Oh, I love Frozen. Yeah. Okay, thank you. I thank just you. I'm just bitter about it because in many ways it dethroned my favorite Disney film, which is Tangled. And oh. it, you know, it gets just Tangled is overshadows Tangled, and Tangled is the quality film. So I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, I get a little passionate. About I'm this sorry. Topic. See, I don't think I've ever even seen Tangled because <laughs> I just like Frozen. Oh. But I also I think I'm For I think shame. I've got some some years on both of you, so I think. That's probably why. Fair enough. Still enjoy it. That's your homework. Okay, I'll have to watch it. Homework. Um, So what I was going to say is I think uh, in Frozen particularly, um, there's this element of Elsa is not ashamed to hide what makes her special. Um, And I know that sounds kind of odd, but like she has these powers that at first she like hides with gloves and all, all that good jazz. And then she was like, no, wait, like this could actually be good if I can like hone my hone my skills so to speak with my magical frost um but I think I think that was the first time I at least I've seen in a Disney princess movie where it they weren't hiding what made them special and made and it forces us to think about how independent Elsa is now Anna it's interesting to contrast them though because Anna is very not confident in herself and is very worried about like keeping her relationship with her sister and the romance in this story so to speak is sisterhood not necessarily um damsel in distress type romance um and I just think it, it's interesting I don't know do you guys find any other uh instances where any of the princesses really exhibited agency or like a strong sense of independence i think in mulan she goes through this experience kind of that elsa does and it takes her longer almost the whole movie that she has to hide who she is that she's a woman but she's in combat fighting so that she can save her dad and she's doing this for her family but it's not till the end that she's able to reveal who she is and then also has earned the trust of um people that she's come to know and um, is able to save the day. So she gets to have both in the end, but it takes her longer. And I think that that's really interesting to watch that process, which I guess for Elsa also, she leaves early in the movie, but then there's still kind of a conflict there. And then finally she's accepted at the end. 
I feel like Belle's a good example of this, too, in a different way in that, and this comes from my own experience, where it was hiding intellect. Oh, I don't want to be smart because the boys aren't going to like me. And here you have Gaston, who thinks she's beautiful, but thinks it's really silly that she would read a book with no pictures, you know? And so she's, Belle's not necessarily wanting to hide it. She's always been more fiercely independent than I think other Disney princesses may have been in the beginning. But there's this feeling of, oh, no, there is somebody who's going, just like she had to learn to love the beast for who he was. The beast loved her even though she was a woman with her own brain, you know? So there's a little bit of that going on there. Of all of these films, in my opinion, the one that you could maybe argue is the least feminist is The Little Mermaid in a certain way, um, because she gives up her voice. (laughs) It's like like a feminist, like what their horror nightmare scenario (laughs) could dream up for a princess story, this would be it. Like gives up her voice to chase a man she barely knows. And then then the worst part is they have to kiss for her to get her voice back. Like it's just a whole thing. But the interesting thing about this is that in the end, um, she does have to give up her life in the scene in order to be with Prince Eric. And that was something that I didn't consider until adulthood that like, I mean, I guess I'd kind of thought of this as a kid, but that she doesn't get to have both. And so it's that idea of kind of leaving the tribe, right? That um, in the end, she ultimately does have to sacrifice something in order to have kind of her fairy tale ending. I think it's actually one of the few, although Disney doesn't really highlight this fact, is one of the few Disney films where the character in the end doesn't actually get to have it all. Um, she kind of does have to, you know, compromise a little bit. It's interesting you bring that up because I had written a question about is there an issue or a problem with stories always ending with and then they lived happily ever after yes and no Uh, yes because that's not life right and as somebody who has been married and divorced I can tell you that's not what happens but but the interesting thing about that is that's what we want to see in a story we want to see the happy ending because life is hard life is suffering we don't want that portrayed we want to go home at the end of seeing this movie and think okay there's some good in the world there's some light at the end of the tunnel and I think that that's really important for us especially as young kids otherwise we're going to be set up for failure and disappointment so yeah you don't want to tell your eight-year-old life sucks sorry (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) sorry. I think kids realize pretty quickly that life is not going to be all, you know, unicorns and rainbows. Um, You know, I as a kid, so between the ages of seven and eight, so within the course of a year, I had three grandparents pass away. Um, So I experienced, you know, quite a bit of grief at a very early age. Um, I get a little frustrated when Hollywood elites, and as someone who like studied in Southern California, I think I can say that, um, Hollywood elites, when they tell me like what real life is, you know, how do you know what real life is? I mean, you, you do, but, but not real, real life. And, I just, I don't know that I think you're exactly right. When we come to the movie theaters, we want to see movies that end well. I oftentimes, if I knew a movie is going to end poorly and I'm going to be sad, I don't watch it. Like I had times growing up where my, I asked my mom to watch a movie before I did so that I, if it ended badly, I didn't have to watch it because I just have no desire to like put myself through that, you know? Did you guys see Into the Woods? Yes. yes. I'm a Broadway okay. theater or musical yes. theater enthusiast. So. Okay. 
that's yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about that though. I didn't really like it because I, I didn't see it on Broadway, but I saw the Disney adaptation, which came out in 2014. Yeah. And um, and I think it's really interesting to watch as an adult. But I would see kids in the theater, and I would think, why would you take your kid to see this? Because it basically takes all of these fairy tales, and then Prince Charming cheats on Cinderella, and it's just <laughs> very sad. And it's not the kind of thing you well, want to see as a child. The point is, there are no happy endings, really. Right. It's closer to the original stories than it is to the the Disney versions, which I think are a product of uh, capitalism. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's probably a good thing that these kind of these classic fairy tales were kind of transformed into these classic stories. The film that made me really mad recently was La La Land. La La Land did not need to end poorly, folks. They could have had a happily ever after, and they didn't. And I'm still bitter about it, and that's why I've only seen it once. <laughs> I don't think there's necessarily a problem like you were saying for from an entertainment standpoint and and they lived happily ever after is like a heartwarming feeling right and no one wants i mean yes i do go to movies that make me scared or cry whatever but like that's not what i'm expecting from a from a disney princess movie you know what i mean (laughs) so like to forget reality for a little bit and in this next disney movie it's going to end in death yeah (laughs) so like you go in with the expectation that you're not going to like have the same feelings you would have if you went to go see the conjuring or joker right so i think like part of it is like in keeping with like the legacy of the story arc in general but do you think going back to what you were saying interesting about like the hollywood elite the hollywood elite or um even a lot of stars in general seem to um, uh give very strong opinions towards our older disney princess films and older disney films in general some have said i'm blinking on which actress had said this wasn't um letting her children watch uh the little mermaid yes this just happened yes this was recently and there's been a few other actresses who have said that uh partially just because of the like you were saying like at the very core this this is the story's message um but do, do you think that is okay? And do you think Disney should care? I think it's absurd. And this is coming from someone, I don't even want kids. Like, I'm not even, like, somebody who's like, oh, my goodness, think of the children. And I, like I said, I'm not, like, a feminist. <laughs> yeah. But, like, just let your kids watch the movie. You're not going, they're not going to be completely switched, you know, over to some right-wing political philosophy or something because Ariel has to kiss a guy <laughs> to break the spell. So I think people like having a cause. This is a main problem with Hollywood elites. Yes. People love to get outraged and they love to have a cause. And and now mm. that we have, you know, like Elsa, such a, a radical juxtaposition from Ariel that you have these, okay, this is better for, for my lifestyle and people are going to get angry no matter what. But I think it's so absurd. On the flip side, I was not really, I was like sort of allowed to watch Little Mermaid growing up. I had a very, grew up in a very conservative household and she wore a bikini. And she yeah. was very rebellious to her and disrespectful <clears throat> to her Interesting. parents. So, oh, um, that is right. I, yeah, because she like runs away. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so Swim I did away. end up, I did end up watching it and it didn't, you know, I, I think I'm okay today. So I think, <laughs> first, I think any of the Disney films are totally fine to show to your kids, but some of them you may want to have a conversation about, oh, should they have done this thing? How could it have been better? And that's a way to participate in the culture and then also be able to evaluate these stories that we tell each other. And kind of going down that road. So a majority of our Disney princesses are like flawless. They're young. Their originals are all white, abnormally thin. Like, have you, I've seen those like dolls that have tried to like if you took the animation yeah. <laughs> and put it into real life like what the person would actually look like and is there a message that sends to young girls do you think 
representation matters in these types of movies? I don't. And I think we forget that Jasmine was ahead of her time. Jasmine oh, is yes, not a white princess. And nobody seems to remember that. It, it kind of goes like, oh, blonde princesses. Haven't had a blonde princess in a while, by the way, aside from Elsa. <laughs> um, but I think it's the same as, as I would say with Barbies and with the Happy Ever After. We're not going, we're not escaping or playing pretend or seeing these movies to to reinforce what's going on in real life. That's not the purpose of entertainment. They're fairy tales. We, they're fairy tales. <laughs> and I don't, I'm just going to be blunt. I don't want to see somebody who isn't necessarily beautiful representing a Disney princess. I want to go in for two hours, think everything is great, and there's even a comfortable conflict. It's nothing where someone's going to die at the end unless it's the bad guy. I like going and seeing beauty on screen, and and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, so I have a friend who um, has an ad- adopted little girl from India, and she, from a very early age, um, was gravitated towards dolls that looked like her. And she wanted toys that looked like her, which makes sense. You know, little girls like to see themselves represented. When we played Disney princesses in school, I don't know about y'all, but for us most of the time, you played the Disney princess that you looked like. You know, you had the same hair color as. No, you can't be this princess because you don't look like them. And I think... um I don't know. That's just something that I think is really integral to this. I also think, um, particularly on The Little Mermaid, there's the new film coming out mm-hmm. where um, I- I'm forgetting the name of the actress, but the- she was in Greatest Showman, right? Isn't it that? No, no, it's okay. not Zendaya. It's okay. not Zendaya. It's a different actress. She and her sister are singers, but I can't remember her yes. name. Yes, yeah. regardless of who it is, she is African American, and um, I am actually really excited about this. And the reason is because um, she. So there are there's extreme uh, disparities in the United States among accidental uh, victims of accidental drowning. And this is one of the top um, causes of death for children in the United States. And so uh, in African-American communities, particularly because um, they were not allowed in public pools for so long or were segregated, uh, there are lots of people in the black community who never learned how to swim. And so their children subsequently didn't learn how to swim either. Yeah, it's really interesting. Interesting stuff. And um, I am hopeful that with this new film, there will be lots of little black girls out there who see her and decide, like, I want to learn how to swim and maybe ask their parents, can I get swimming lessons this summer? And because I always played like mermaids in the pool in the summer, you know, when I was a kid. And I'm hopeful that that will be something that's encouraging to other young girls. So I think. Well, part of it is, too, like, all of us sitting here, we all look like some of the princesses that exist, right? Um, so I think there's a little bit of inherent bias in that. So, like, I, I, I agree with Haley in the sense that I like to, I think it's important that there's representation in the sense that, like, little girls can look and see, like, oh, that could be me because she looks like me or because she talks like me or, um, that kind, I think that is extremely important. So from an entertainment perspective, like, Moana is a great example of this, uh, first Polynesian Asian princess. I love. I also love the music in that in that movie. So so Lin Manuel Miranda, right? Yeah. Hamilton. Yeah, love it. <laughs> love it. Um, and I think that was the first. Uh, well, Tiana didn't do as well in the theaters, the uh, Princess and a Fro- in the Frog. Uh, Moana certainly did better. I think it was the first time that like little girls saw a princess that wasn't thin, that was just like normal stature, yes. average. Average. When I say average looking, she's still beautiful, but like a- like she's average, realistic. Yeah, she's realistic, and I think that's what's important. Is like if 
like I agree that from an entertainment standpoint, it's great to see someone that's beautiful. But I think we need to be realistic about that beauty. Right. And I don't think just like we're having that conversation with who like what um, a model should look like and how that shows women or females and how it's like. Uh, grossly affecting the way girls feel about themselves, especially at a young age. I think it's important that we're realistic in our representation Um, because there are some like I am not there are some movies like we were talking about this in the Star Wars episode, too, that um, there are strong fan bases that think that certain movies should look a certain way. So the Star Wars fan base is a great example of this because there are Star Wars fans sector that doesn't think that women or females should be Jedi. And we were talking about, (laughs) anyway, so sorry. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's important that movies like this and and especially movies that are geared towards females, Disney princesses has female written all over it, um, that there's accurate representation. Yeah. I think representation really does matter. And people, conservatives don't like to say that. People on the right don't like to say that because they think that means oh, identity politics or something. But it's not about hitting quotas. It's just about um, telling stories about people who are going to be listening to those stories and watching those movies. Um, and it's important also, Disney has been able to have a lot of non-white actresses who may not have been able to have roles in the Disney franchise because they have had characters like Jasmine and Mulan and Moana, who they specifically were looking for, I think, like an unknown, like a new young actress. My hobby horse about this is um, more realistic hair expectations from (laughs) the Disney films. Now, this is coming from someone who Rapunzel is my favorite princess, but here's the thing that's unrealistic about her hair. It is not the length. It is the thickness, okay? So when you look at her hair, it's like it takes up like her whole head, you know? Her braid does not taper. It is one thickness, and that... It just it's it's very unrealistic and it makes me very sad. So yeah, more realistic hair <laughs> expectations yeah. for and Disney. I think, well, kind of and jumping off of what Mad- uh, Madeline said as well, I think that if we're Disney, sh- I don't want Disney to participate in like tokenism, right? So I don't want it to be okay. We have we had our one Polynesian princess. Now we're gonna have our one, and we're yes. gonna just move down the line. Yeah. I'd rather them see pick the best actress right and if like i i suspect has happened for the live action remake of little mermaid they had all these people get interviews and get um auditions and they picked the best actress yes the public outcry was a little bit unsettling to be honest um but i think i would like to see the best actress for the best entertainment and that because in our mind, yes, I think the, I know the Little Mermaid has red hair, and that's just something I've seen because that's what I have been seeing since I was seven years old. But I think it doesn't matter. I think they're telling the story, and we're still going to get a good story out of it, and we're still going to have the good actress. So it, it doesn't matter. Like anyone can be put into this role. It's funny you say that because when the live action Beauty and the Beast came out, I was a little bad. Because she was not a real brunette. Because, like, as a, as a little girl, <laughs> that was my thing, right? Is yes. Belle, Belle was a brown-haired, like, you know, and, and then you had, uh, what's her, Emma, Emma. Watson. Oh, I love and her, though. She's, yeah. she's wonderful. She's not a singer. She should never have been allowed to oh, sing. Well, yeah. But, but she's somebody who's kind of blondish, right? And I'm thinking, like, this is not my Disney princess. And I don't know that she was necessarily the right one for the role, but Little Mermaid excites me because, again, like you said, the, the singing talent is what excites me is I'm like, okay, this person's going to do a really great portrayal. Did you see the doll? that they created for Emma Watson. It was no. horrifying. <laughs> oh, I, did not I, see saw that. It, I saw it at Disneyland and it was it was so bad. I don't know how that got approved, but anyway, side note. <laughs> 
All right. So I have some, I pulled out some quotes for some of the movies and I just kind of wanted to get your feedback slash if you remember, uh, remember these quotes being said and pop quiz no no we have trivia later we couldn't have done this we couldn't have done this episode without trivia yes um okay so in aladdin uh, jasmine says how dare you all of you standing around deciding my future i am not a prize to be won so does that surprise you that came out of that movie no it doesn't at that year no okay um so i was doing a little bit of research on jasmine because she's one of my favorites and apparently they had originally read her written her as kind of bratty and then they were like oh no wait that's a terrible (laughs) idea she needs to be this strong empowered woman and that's what she ended up becoming which they take that even a step further in the um new live action remake if you've seen that um but she was definitely a product of the um i think it is the 90s is when the film came out is that kind of female empowerment she wants to you know take control of her own life kind of thing and like we mentioned earlier she's the only one that doesn't necessarily want to be a princess it's kind of like forced upon her which is like interesting because all the little girls watching want to be her so um so the next one i had um was in moana maui who is obviously not moana um who's the rock uh says if you wear a dress and have an animal sidekick you're a princess um so do you think they played a little were were they playing a little bit funny at the more traditional princess movies because remember moana is convinced she's not a princess she's like a great adventurer she's this sailor learning to be a sailor um and she has this cool sidekick hey hey he's a chicken um that it's funny (laughs) (laughs) but he's always trying to drown himself um but so i think like how how do you think that is disney making fun of their own stereotype Absolutely. Which, good for them. Like, that's just a good marketing ploy because you're appeasing people who maybe didn't hate that model to begin with because you're giving them a callback. And then, you know, people who might be a little bit more on the feminist side or more female empowerment side are going to get a kick out of that. So that's just that's just good capitalism. (laughs) I Yeah, I have no problem with that. Okay, good. So a lot of the conversation we've been having has been about female empowerment through the Disney princess movies. Do you think the Disney princess movies need to be about female empowerment? It's weird that you mentioned the Aladdin thing, it's, and Hercules maybe would be the other example, but even though these had boy names and they were about men, I never considered them movies for boys. I've always kind of felt like the entire genre has been for, for little girls because it is, there is always this amazing female character. So yeah, that's kind of, that's an interesting question you bring up. I'm not sure. But I feel like if you set out to make a movie about female empowerment, yes. it's going to be terrible. Yes. You're going to be super preachy. But if yeah. you want to make a movie about a kind of realistic in the sense of the way people actually act about a woman, then it's going to be empowering and it's going to be a good film. I think, you know, all of these films are, um, like we said earlier, about kind of the great adventure, right? Like the girl goes out and has the great adventure. I think that is naturally about female empowerment. I don't think you have to force it to be about female empowerment. It just, it is. And so I think Maddie is right to say um, you set out on that mission. It's just, oh, that's going to be bad. Don't do that. (laughs) And I think, too, like with the adventure aspect, especially with these later films, they are actually this happened in The Little Mermaid, too, though. Um, They encourage uh, or not encourage, but they recognize that there are sacrifices that need to be made. Mm -hmm. Like you have to make sacrifices and there are trade offs and decisions you make, which I think are important because you had said earlier about The Little Mermaid sacrificing her voice, which, well, yeah, that's kind of bad. bad. Um, <laughs> but like there's a a realistic aspect to that, that not everything you want to do or everything you want to accomplish is going to come without sacrifice. Um, what other sacrifices do you think princesses have made? So 
the interesting one for me has been um so I'm going to talk about Tangled for a sec because go ahead. Uh, we want to hear. Have to. We want to hear your whole so diatribe. It's my favorite. Um, so Tangled to me is really interesting because it kind of follows the classic, um, in a way, but in a different way, the classic Disney trope of not having a mother. Um, so now, side note: I heard that apparently the reason this is a rumor, the reason why Walt Disney um, decided so many times to not have a maternal character was because apparently he like bought a house. For for his parents and the furnace leaked one evening and his mother passed away and his father like but his father survived and so i guess apparently the rumor is like he was so haunted by that story that he or not a story like his life um that he decided not to include these uh, maternal characters but in rapunzel it's interesting um that the the way it's different is that the the, the mother character is not her mother, obviously, and is um, and is abusive. I think it's a classic example of emotional child abuse. And, um, you know, do you guys know who Gypsy Rose Blanchard yes, is? Yes. <laughs> okay. So for the listeners who may not know, um, this is the girl who uh, whose mother lied to her about being sick for so many years and like kept her locked up and like told her she had all these terrible diseases. And eventually she just didn't see any other way out and so she asked the boy she was talking to online to like kill her mother for her um and she has said that tangled is her favorite disney movie makes sense because it's basically her life i did Uh, not know that oh my god yes um and so she yeah she has this whole interview that she's done about it and um the idea that for Rapunzel, what she has to do is um, she basically makes the sacrifice of this mother character. You see at the end when Mother Gothel, um, you know, she gets tripped by Pascal uh, and uh, she falls out the window. Um, Rapunzel in this like really interesting moment. They don't have any dialogue about it. It's like very subtle, but at the same time, very apparent. She reaches for her as she's falling out the window. And it's like still this this woman who has just like, you know, attempted to to murder the love of her life. She still loves her. Um, but ultimately, she, you know, she kind of has to make that sacrifice. Um, and I, I don't know. I just have found that really interesting. It's also interesting how they highlight. I hadn't thought about that scene. I, I just watched it last night with the kids. I babysit. But I hadn't thought about that scene more so. But it's also interesting now that you talk about it that it's it's showing conflict mm-hmm. that she's having in her mind right so she she's like around 16 17 no she's she's 18 oh. because the film is about her 18th birthday oh yes 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 yeah. you're right um so she's she's 18 and so she's spent the last 18 years considering that this mother gothel is like her mom. her mom and yep. they have like a great relationship yep. she's confused why she's stuck in this tower which shouldn't have taken 18 years to figure out but whatever <laughs> um but like it's interesting because the mother she sees in her head isn't how she now kn- yep. now sees her yep. um and i think that's an interesting conflict and it, it's another great example of the the princess is having to make hard decisions are coming across conflict sacrifice in order to achieve what they want mm-hmm. in the end does anyone else have any other examples of that i mean sleeping beauty just falls asleep yeah i was gonna say i'm drunk so <laughs> <laughs> like, gets a better life after cleaning for the dwarves or whatever you know and yeah. getting woken up by a prince well, yeah, but she, she also has to like in a, in a weird way it's actually um she has to be really brave because she's facing up to 
her um, the um, to the evil evil queen, the yeah. evil stepmother. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry, I I always misremember if like the woman was her stepmother. I haven't seen it in so long, but she does have to like you know be brave and stick up to her. And also in the um in the show, what's the why am I forgetting the name of it? Once, well, upon, once a upon a time, time. yes, mm, good show. super good. The first couple seasons, yeah. and then you know, um, but they make you know Snow White obviously in that. Uh, series into I think a much more um, a character with much more agency which a, was a word you a, used yeah, as a, we were discussing a, this. Yeah a dynamic character for yes, sure. Yes. Um, and I think I think part of it too and even we haven't mentioned it yet but Disney's starting to do these remakes and like coming up mm-hmm. with niche stories that were in their Disney princess like world so like maleficent is a good example of that right so like we were just talking about sleeping beauty there wasn't like a whole lot that like went on in that movie other than (laughs) her falling asleep and needing to be saved but um they've made a a few movies now that i think they're on their second one about maleficent which they is fascinating i mean i really like angelina jolie but i think it's fascinating to look at how they're like spinning off of their their original movies partially because they show so much background to Maleficent about like the struggles and stuff she had as a childhood and stuff we would have never that was never thought of and would never have been recognized for someone that was evil in the in original movie. So what what do you guys make of all these remakes of these live actions? Are are they adding value to the originals? Are they just trying to do lip service to the fans? What do you think? I think they're playing off nostalgia. Nostalgia is um, a huge moneymaker, um, especially right now. You have to consider, especially with these movies, millennials are having kids now. Millennials went to see these movies as children. Now we have a reason to take our kids to see these movies and get them to to like you know the same things we liked. And so I think it's 100% a play on nostalgia and good on them. I mean, I don't necessarily think everyone is a success or that they should be made. Sometimes I'm like, stop ruining my childhood. But um, I think it's a great moneymaker. So, yeah. Speaking more broadly about Disney, something like over half of the top 10 films that were released last year um, were all Disney films. And most of them were the remake of The Lion King, all of these just, you know, either remakes or spinoffs of something that's already in their franchise. So they've definitely been investing more in their old stories than their new stories because they know that people are familiar with that and they have that nostalgia factor. But I haven't seen as like as much of the remakes and that, so it personally doesn't interest me. So I can't speak to that as much. Yeah, I've only seen two of the remakes. I saw... um the two of the princess ones i saw beauty and the beast and cinderella and i thought they were both fantastic i think um one of the things they've done really well is the visual elements in these films are really stunning uh the costumes and the um i felt like the casts they've used as well for these films have been pretty good i personally um the remakes are not a, a huge draw for me unless um you know i kind of see the trailer in it i don't know tickles my fancy and i'd like to go i i wish though um disney would spend a little more time on creating new stories i mean obviously they're doing that as well but um you know we haven't had a new princess in a little bit i think that disney kind of went all in for frozen for a little while um and i i you know it's like everyone's saying like all the movies are sequels now (laughs) like no one's creating anything new i wish we would do that a little bit more yeah and i think I, th- I think it's twofold, right? So I think a remake for them is safe, which yes. I don't think is yes. a good thing for creativity. So um, when I have seen, I've seen, I saw Beauty and the Beast. Mainly the big draw for me seeing that was Emma Watson. Wasn't actually the movie. Um, and I've also seen the remake of Aladdin, which 
is interesting because Jasmine gets a little bit more screen time and get and they develop her character more. Um, but I think a big thing is Disney know it's safe knows people are familiar with the story and there's enough of a generational divide. Like you were hinting at that now millennials will take their children to go see the movies they saw as kids. That's why they keep doing these Toy Story movies and then releasing them with really weird wait times. But I think it's safe. But I think for creativity, like you were hinting at, it really hurts. Partially because we want to see new movies, like audiences want to see new movies, but Disney ultimately is not, unless they come up with another Frozen, not a sequel to Frozen, like another movie of that magnitude, it's going to take a long time for them to recoup the benefits from that. So I am optimistic that we're going to see a new princess in the future, but I think it might, it might take... I mean, it takes a lot of development time. And Disney has, at this point, like, it, it, it's a capitalist machine, right? So it has its it has its hands in a... Not that that's a bad thing. It has its hands in a lot of um, different worlds. Um, and especially now that we have Disney Plus, I'm going to watch even more of the remakes. But um, so that's only a side note. I think because it has its hands in so much, it's, its original content, like what it was founded on, is not getting as much focus if that makes sense um so like they're worrying about star wars and paying lip service to that huge fan base and we've got avatar now which i never thought they should have bought or made sequels for but or yeah not interested yeah that that movie also cost like five billion (laughs) dollars to make um and they're in so many universes now that i think they're they're getting they're getting plenty enough money to not make another Disney princess movie is what I'm trying to say. Do you guys like any of the sequels? Okay, yeah, I was actually going to say that because I kind of dissed spin-offs, but I have actually really liked all of the remakes that I've seen of the Disney princesses because yeah. I feel like they've taken the good elements of the stories and then updated them in a way that didn't seem preachy but also seemed a little bit more modern. Mm-hmm. I especially liked Cinderella. Beauty and the Beast was good. Um, Aladdin was really good. But like of the cartoon sequels, are there any where you're like, oh, the sequels. I like that one. Mm. I remember liking Return of Jafar as a kid, but that was so oh, long yeah, ago. I forgot so, those yeah. I, I did. Now, maybe this was just because. So um, Ariel was my favorite princess growing oh, up. Yeah, they made a second one of that, didn't they? Yes, they she did. Had, she had a daughter. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and OK, now I've been saying that she wasn't able to have her life in the sea and on land the reason i know this is because in the sequel she like it's this whole big thing that she's going back to the sea to spoiler alert like go after her <laughs> daughter has been out for a while yeah, <laughs> to like go after her daughter and i loved it as a kid now maybe that's just because like you know you're a kid and you like to see your favorite characters again in like a new story which i think is probably why frozen 2 um you know was a good idea for disney um you know, maybe now watching it as an adult, it wouldn't be as entertaining, but I really liked it as a kid. I thought it was great. I honestly forgot there were sequels to a lot of those. I, and now I'm just like recalling that there Some was a Beauty and the Beast like Christmas too. one. Yes, but they never went to theaters. And I think that's why for me, they didn't have the magic, right? I remember yeah. seeing Little Mermaid in the theater when I was five years old. And I remember just like, wow, like seeing seeing Ursula become giant and die on screen was like so, you know, oh, terrifying for me. But then when the other one came to video, I was like, oh, this is just my TV. At home. To VHS. <laughs> yeah, to VHS. There's a second Mulan 
that's pretty good. Um, I think there are some fun songs that come out of the sequels. There are a couple of really good songs in the second Mulan and in the um, the Broadway versions of these yeah. Disney films. The Broadway version of Aladdin has a few really good songs. Same with Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, the yeah. song Proud of Your Boy. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Like, you cannot listen to that song without crying. Um, very, very good stuff. And I think that's something we didn't hit on earlier, but like a lot. A lot of these movies, the a large fan base comes from the music, yes. right? Yeah. And yeah. they spend a ton of time developing and coming up with correct music um, that makes sense. Alan Menken, <laughs> yeah, um, genius. They deserve a ton of credit. Like uh, as much as some of us don't like Frozen, Let It Go, like was... Let It Go's a great. So and I think okay, the fact she that was got... screeching. Oh, she but was I screaming. love that actress. Adina Menzel is was... a goddess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's she's a, amazing. It's Adina Menzel. I love her. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say just really fast that I think Tangled has the best soundtrack. And I think that the song with the ruffians, where they're, lis- they're listing out their their dreams, yes. And when they list out like what their uh, side hustles are, you know, if like their day job is being a thug, but what their side hustle is. And then the line is the best, uh, which is, it's kind of a throwaway line, but it's so good. Call us brutal, sick, sadistic, and grotesquely optimistic. But way down deep inside, we have a dream. So good. Anyway, just I have to get as much Tangled content yeah. in there as I can. <laughs> we'll definitely have to put a picture of Tangled on Thank this. Thank you. <laughs> all right. So I thought it, it would not be appropriate to talk all yes. this Disney and not do a little bit of trivia. I won't look. Um, yeah. Don't look at the answers. Okay. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> There's actually two Tangled questions on here. So um, all right. So number one, can you guess which Disney princess movie has made the most money for Disney and... How much money did it make? Go ahead. Okay. Well, I think it's Frozen. Okay. Um, How much money? I'm so bad at this. Let's do $2 billion. You're close. It was $1,072,402,000. The second one, the next highest grossing was Moana box office sales. Okay. Okay. So not we're not including merchandise. Not including merchandise, okay. yeah. The next one was Moana, $643,331,111. That surprises me. And I wouldn't have pegged Moana as yeah. being the next one. But that, and I guess then that makes after sense. that was Tangled, 591794936 I kind of wonder, to be honest, so because I come from Broadway World, the two that you mentioned have crossover in Broadway world um, because Lin-Manuel Miranda and Adina Menzel that I'm wondering if That's that brings true. in new fans well, who will see it that like where they wouldn't normally have seen it. So yeah. does um, so does Tangled because um, there are a couple characters in it. I can't remember the names besides like the main actresses, but there are or main actors. But there's one uh, voice actor in it who has a little broad. I can't remember. Sorry. That's a side no, note. But, yeah. Um, so the next one. Who is depicted as the youngest Disney princess? Go ahead. Moana? Nope. Ooh, is it Snow White? I, it's, yes. yes. Oh. That was my second Alice guess. Is not, now, Alice is not a princess, right? Yeah. Alice, Alice and Alice. Alice. Like, yeah. Wait, she's not. She doesn't yeah. have animal sidekicks. That was my second guess. She doesn't have animal sidekicks. cat. Like, also, you realize how old that film is. If, if you go back and watch it, and they've even like remastered the animation, it still looks bad. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. The voice actress for her only made $1,000 off that movie. Oof. Such an iconic voice, too. It's yeah. not my favorite, but very uh, recognizable. Yeah. All right. So, which Disney princess is the only one, we mentioned this earlier, to not be her film's main character? Oh, Jasmine. Jasmine, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> this one's kind of fun. Which Disney princess has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. 
Snow White. Yeah. I've seen it. She was also the only Disney princess that Walt was alive for when the movie came out. Really? Strike of Cinderella's the 60s. Yeah. Right? Yep. I so did not had, know that. So Cinderella was his favorite princess. Like, he had come up with the concept and everything of her. Yeah. And, like, there's pictures of him standing next to the uh, drawings of her, but he was not alive when it came so out. So then I wonder if this rumor then is true. About like well, the so characters. I had heard after they remade the Lion King, I had heard that characters the, not having mothers, we yeah, ca- characters not having parents in general was yeah. something Walt wanted. Interesting. Well, like there was this idea that like that, um, that if a female character doesn't have a mother, that she's like kind of forced to grow up faster. Yeah. But I don't. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Okay, so. How long is Rapunzel's hair entangled? And how long? Yeah. And how many animators did it take to oh. animate it? Um, when we're talking about length, are we meaning like, are, what's the ratio okay, here? So this was on like Disney, Disney's website. Oh. I know. So they like think they know everything about their films. But okay. Well, I'm just going to give it a okay, guess. Go ahead. If that's okay. I think her hair. But it changes length throughout yeah. the film. It definitely does. I'm going to guess like 20 feet. Her hair is 70 feet long. Ah! And Whoa. it took 30 yes. an- engineers to animate yes, it. Yes, I had heard about this. Yeah. yeah. Insane. And that's that's the most animators that Disney has used for a single like aspect of one of their yeah. films. Makes sense. Um, that hair yeah, has a it lot of it. Song. <laughs> it was worth it. One unsung non-Disney princess that deserves a shout out for being independent <laughs> is Esmeralda. And granted, Hunchback is uh, one of my favorite musically. That She doesn't get enough. She doesn't get enough recognition for being who she is because she's not a princess. She's literally yeah. a homeless gypsy. But <laughs> right. <laughs> credit where credit is due. Who's the um, Megara? Megara is uh, also good. Yeah. She's definitely like not a princess yeah. per se, but she kind of she is in the canon sometimes. Yeah. Also, um, Maid Marian from Robin Hood. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. Yes. She's a fox, but you know. <laughs> yes. Hey, still counts. <laughs> I'm trying to think, is there anyone else? I don't think there's any. Well, the recent articles I was reading was trying to argue that. Like they were using all females from Star Wars, so like Princess Leia came, um, from, not from Star Wars, from Disney. Um, Princess Leia should be a princess, like an official Disney princess. Mm-hmm. Then like the girl from Wreck It Ralph, I'm blanking on her name, but oh, like Vanellope, yeah. Something. And like technically, if you look at her story, like her story is all about adventure, and Ralph is her like sidekick. sidekick. Wow. Um, She's not, but Mm-mm. no. I, well, not if the it. rule is. You have to wear a dress and have a pet companion. Leia does not qualify for this because her companion is a droid. That's right. Thanks for listening. As you may have noticed, there is quite a debate over which Disney princess should rule them all. If you want to campaign for your favorite Disney character, be sure to let us know on Twitter at Pop and Lock Pod. That's Pop, the letter N, Lock, with an E, Pod. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We look forward to unraveling your favorite show or movie next time. Pop and Lock is produced by Tess Terrible and Landry Ayers as a project of Libertarianism.org. To learn more, visit us on the web at www.libertarianism.org.